Hey, what's up, everyone? This is Antonio Neves, and I am so excited that you are here for another episode of the Best Thing Podcast. I want to invite you to do me a big favor. If you are digging this podcast, if you are truly enjoying it, I'm going to ask you to be willing to share this with someone in your community. This could be a friend, it could be a family member, it could be a work colleague, it could be that random person you meet on the street. Just let them know about the Best Thing podcast. You can text them, you can tweet them, you can send them an email. That would mean so much to me. Also, if you haven't already, please hit the subscribe button on whatever platform you're listening to this on to make sure you get brand new episodes every single week. Also, this episode coming up is with Paul Rykoff. It is a fantastic episode. We have a great conversation. Now listen, at times the audio gets a little bit choppy, a little bit funky, but it's not going to give you any problems. You'll be able to hear everything. But just in case you hear something a little bit choppy or funky, I just want to let you know that everything's going to be all right. All right, let's get to the episode. Welcome to the Best Thing Podcast, where we talk to thought leaders, creatives, authors, and entrepreneurs about how sometimes the best thing to happen to you is the most unexpected. Welcome your host, Antonio Neves. Hey, what's up, everyone? Welcome to the Best Thing Podcast, where I talk to people about the best thing to ever happen to them that doesn't include the traditional markers of success. I'm your host, Antonio Neves. I'm a speaker, author, and coach. And each week, I bring on a new guest who has a powerful story to tell that will motivate, inspire, and help you see life through a new lens. This week's guest is Paul Reichhoff, and I am so excited to have him on as a guest. I'm going to give you a, a nice little bio for him because this guy has done some amazing things over the course of his life. He's the host of the amazing podcast, Angry Americans. He's the founder and president of Righteous Media. He's also the founder of Iraq and Afghanistan Veterans of America. This guy is an author. I remember reading his first book, Chasing Ghosts, many years ago. I even have it signed inside of my house. And he's the author of the forthcoming book, How to Fight. He's a veteran and served in, uh, in a combat tour in Iraq in 2004. Now, Paul regularly appears on television. And if you've turned on a TV set, you've probably seen him on MSNBC, CNN, Meet the Press, Morning Joe, Rachel Maddow Show, you name it. Now, more than anything, Paul, he's a fighter. He's a patriot, and he is a force to be reckoned with. Paul, welcome to the Best Thing Podcast. Thank you, my friend. Can you do, can you do all my intros, man? <laughs> hey, hey, man, I, I'll send you my rates over in a little while. You know, it's good. Well, also, uh, to be I'm also an old friend of yours, which is a part of this. You know, we crossed paths many, many years ago, and it's good to, it's good to, to talk to you. It's good to connect with you, and it's been inspiring to watch your trajectory over the last couple of years. It's equally been inspiring to watch you as well. Yeah, we were introduced many years ago via a mutual friend, awesome guy by the name of Dermon Thomas. And while I was gearing up for this podcast, I thought back to years ago, Paul, when I was doing work with McNeil Lara Productions and PBS in DC, how periodically we would bump into each other on that Acela train going back from Washington to New York, man. And it was just funny seeing everybody take that trip and go to the bar cart to get a few beers. Yeah, there's nobody on that train right now. You can have the whole bar cart to yourself. <laughs> All to yourself. So before there's an upside, man, there's an upside, right? There's a silver lining in every situation. And if you look for the positive, you can find it. And if you're listening to this on the Acela right now, you are not waiting on any lines. You got plenty of leg room. 
and you got all the drinks you can handle. So, you know, and you probably get there on time, too. You definitely get there on time. I never got there on time. Listen, before we dig into the question about the best thing to happen to you that has had like a profound effect on your life, I'm just curious for our listeners. Um, you made a transition, man. I mean, you started this amazing organization, Iraq and Afghanistan Veterans of America. You started that like in your studio, man, and back on MySpace, if I believe, and built that to over half a million veterans and folks who are involved in supporting veteran rights. And not long ago, you decided to transition from that CEO role in the beginning of a new company, Righteous Media. I'm just curious if you could briefly tell me about that transition and what led to it and what the new company is all about. Yeah, it's been exciting. It's been challenging. And uh, it's been really, really fulfilling. You know, I I spent 15 years as an activist uh, in the, the social entrepreneurship space. So we build things that change the world. And when I started out, it was it was a studio apartment on on uh, on Seventh Street and Avenue A in the East Village. We started out on MySpace, really in 2004, before there was Facebook, before social media had really exploded. And it was around a central idea that the guys and gals I served with in Iraq and Afghanistan didn't have a voice, and we were disconnected. So we were organizing. We were kind of working virtually long before coronavirus hit. Right? We were trying to network as a community. And it was building on every generation of veterans that had come back from war to try to improve their community and improve their country. So all the way back to George Washington, right? George Washington was a veteran activist who came home to try to make his community better. So I did that for 15 years. It was really important work, um, really grinding work. It was a lot like being in the military. It was really hard. The pay sucked. The people were awesome. And there was a fantastic mission. But just like the military, you know, I got to the point where I kind of topped off and I needed to change. And I wanted to continue to serve. I'd done a lot in the veterans community. We passed the GI Bill. Uh, we reformed women's care. We held a lot of people accountable. We dealt with unemployment and homelessness and so many other issues. But the issues of the country and the world were getting bigger. And Trump got elected. And, and, and that blew everything apart. And I really felt like I had to go beyond the veteran space and find ways to continue to serve. And for me, you know, what I did was I looked across the landscape, Antonio, and I said, all right, I could either sell out and go make a bunch of money, which I'm not going to do. Uh, I could try to go into politics and I'm an independent. And, and so there really wasn't a path for me and I'm not a billionaire. So, um, you know, I wasn't really a Republican or a Democrat. And if you're not one of those two in this political structure, it's hard to run for office. And then I looked at the media and I realized that, that as you mentioned in the intro, I had done almost every show under the sun from News Hour to the Colbert Report. And I had really grown up in the media and my voice had been strengthened and sharpened in the media. And I felt like that was the new battleground. That was the place where I could push for issues that I cared about. I could hold people accountable. I can continue to be an activist. Uh, I could bring people together and, and I could throw a bigger punch, frankly. I mean, working for an organization where you represent a half a million members is kind of like being a member of Congress. You have to represent everybody. Now I can let the fist fly. You know, if I think the president's screwing up, I can take him on. If I think, you know, de Blasio's screwing up, I can take him on. And I think it's important because the community I continue to represent uh, is largely made up of veterans, uh, first responders, military folks, uh, firefighters, people that, that don't have a voice sometimes because they're in uniform or sometimes because they're in the fight. And, and this moment that we're in right now has validated that for me. So Righteous Media has become a platform, for example, to raise the voices of firefighters. And last summer, we were fighting for the extension of healthcare benefits, working with John Stewart, right? Trying to get that bill passed that you may have seen in the news. Now, firefighters aren't getting uh, masks. They're not getting gloves. And they're right outside my window right now taking on coronavirus. 
So it's been an extension of the work. Being in the private sector is very different. I made a leap. I didn't have you know a ton of money in the bank to make the leap, but I had, had faith in my plan. I had a really good strategy, built a strong team. And in many ways, we're built for this. And we want righteous media to be for independence and, and for the politically unaffiliated, what crooked media is for the left or what Breitbart is for the right. We're starting out with my podcast, but we were doing events. We've shut those down for now, but we've got two new shows that we just launched this week. I launched a show called uh, Rider in River's Room, which is a morning show from my kid's bedroom. And now I got a late night show from our living room called uh, Righteous Late Night. And it's all about improvise, adapt, and overcome. That's what I learned in the military. Uh, that's what I brought to IAVA. And that's what I'm bringing to Righteous Media now. And I actually, you know, I think that this is a moment where everybody needs to be doing the same thing. You've got to improvise, adapt, and overcome in the face of the coronavirus, in the face of a new normal. And it's exciting. But bottom line, man, we're, we're built for this and, and we're ready. We're built for this. I'm just curious briefly for you. I mean, I love listening to you speak, whether you're giving a speech, whether you're talking on your podcast, whether you're on television. You always have a gift for being able to convey a, a message that's accessible to everyone. It's crisp. It's concise. There's a firm beginning, middle, and an end. I'm curious, have you always been a natural storyteller or is that a skill set you developed once you started IAVA and, and found your way to today? Both. I was taught to be a storyteller because I am the grandchild of immigrants. I, I grew up around my grandparents and, and two in particular. My, my grandmother on my mother's side immigrated from Hungary when she was uh, 16 years old. She came by herself as a young girl on a boat. Okay. And, and she, uh, she spoke Madyar. She came to this country with nothing. And she told me the stories of the old country. And she told me the stories of her immigration. And she told me the stories of the depression. Uh, and similarly, my grandfather on the other side uh, came here when he was 17 from Germany, spoke no English. He was like the guy in Titanic. Okay. He worked on the boats, literally. Okay. And got off the boat with a buddy of his and just stayed here. I met my grandmother uh, working in a greasy spoon. He was the cook. She was the waitress. Uh, and he built, you know, that side of the family here in this country. But he told me the stories of his immigration, of his struggle, of serving in the South Pacific in World War II for three years, uh, of getting through the Depression, working at the post office for 40 years. So I came from a, from a legacy of storytellers. I think many kids that are the, the children of immigrants or the grandchildren of immigrants, those stories are passed on as oral history. Uh, but then, you know, as an activist, uh, I became the carrier of the stories. I had to tell the stories of veterans who were homeless. I had to tell the stories of veterans who were facing uh, the bureaucracy of the VA. I had to explain to people what it was like to be gay in the military when it wasn't allowed. And so I, I tried to use those skills and hone those skills, frankly, through repetition. It's like anything else. If you, if you keep working at it, you'll get better at it. And, and when it comes to storytelling, polit good politicians know this. It's kind of like telling a joke. The more times you tell a story, the better you get at it. The timing gets better. The verbiage gets crisper. You know, that's why if you hear Amy Klobuchar tell the same story about, you know, her grandmother 16 times, by the time she gets to a debate and she's got to do it in one minute, she can nail it. So it's both of those things. But I think it also cuts to the core of what my work is all about, what some of your work is all about, is, is the power of storytelling. Understanding that in the midst of all this chaos, the humanity of the individual is essential and understanding each individual's humanity and experience is essential to achieving real progress, saving lives and moving this country forward, especially right now. If you can't relate to a doctor in the ER that doesn't have a mask who's trying to save people from corona, then, then we have a problem. And that's the problem with the president right now. The president can't relate to that doctor or that nurse or that cop on the front line. And that's why he's talking about sending everybody back you know, to their work in a couple of weeks. He's disconnected from that. 
So storytelling is key, and I'm, I'm lucky to be a part of it. I also learned, I got to tell you this, a bit from the Obama playbook, which comes from the Marshall Gantz playbook. Marshall Gantz is, is the great organizer at Harvard who, who many of the Obama folks learn from. And there's always a, a story that Obama tells. Any story has the same structure. It's always challenge, choice, lesson. Okay, what's the challenge? Uh, we have the coronavirus. What's the choice? We can either you know, go back to school and run around the streets and party at spring break, or, or we can lock down, right? And what's the lesson? Do the right thing, you'll save the world. Do the wrong thing, we're all in deep shit, right? But that structure, challenge, choice, lesson, comes from the Marshall Gantz School of, of storytelling and of organizing. And that's what Obama grew out of and I learned a lot from as well. I got to meet Marshall Gantz many years ago, went through a training with him, and it helped me tell the stories of others and helped me tell that story I just told you. <laughs> yeah, I never thought about storytelling from the angle of immigrants. You know, my grandparents were immigrants as well. And there's rich, rich lore and legends uh, and stories I heard growing up that I never took into consideration from storytelling. Something else you do extremely unique well, uh, unique as well that I really have always respected, Paul, is that you've always been willing to have an opinion. And a lot of people try to toe the line sometimes that you've been willing to stand firm on something, even, of course, when folks disagree with you. And that may mean you're going to have to have a fight with sometimes with with people. Um, and I guess people some people would say that Paul Rykoff is polarizing. All they got to do is go to your uh, Twitter feed and see the responses you get from some people sometimes. So just briefly talk about being willing to take a stand. If you're not willing to take a stand and fight, then what the hell are you doing here, man? You're going to get rolled and everybody around you is going to get rolled. And, and, and the person who's willing to take on the fight is going to dictate the terms. When I came out of the military, uh, there was a planning uh, maxim that we used to always say, you know, don't let the enemy control the tempo. And, and I want to push the tempo on behalf of my community. I want to push the tempo on behalf of my city right now. Right. Uh, you know, Chris Cuomo and Andrew Cuomo right now, both of them, the brothers. I know them both. Chris is a good friend of mine. I back up Chris on the radio at Sirius XM. Andrew is our mayor. I've advised him in the past. You know, they're pushing the envelope right now. They're taking the fight to the coronavirus. They're taking the fight to the White House. They're taking the fight where it needs to be taken. And and, and that's kind of who I am. You know, I came from a family uh, that was fighters, whether it was immigrating here or going into World War II or building our community. And it's not always throwing a punch. Sometimes it's taking a punch. Sometimes it's, it's, it's really adapting to the environment, but recognizing that, you know, you're moving forward on behalf of yourself or your family and your community. And in times like this, you got to stand up to people. Like we got to stand up to this president, in my opinion, if we don't throw punches, he's going to pound on you. You know, whether you're an immigrant or, or you're, you know, a person of color, or you're right now a, a first responder who's getting sidelined uh, because he wants to, you know, get the stock market cooking. We got to punch back. Uh, especially in, in this environment that I think is almost like an asymmetrical battlefield. Uh, and if we punch together, then that punch can, can add even more volume. So yeah, I'm polarizing. I'm okay with that. And, and I think you're going to have to be willing to mix it up in this environment if you're going to get things done. I appreciate that. And it's funny, me being a journalist for so long, you always got to be fair and balanced. You never want to be on either side of things. I'm just now getting to the point where I'm willing to say some things I otherwise previously wouldn't say because I had that journalist hat on for so long. So I look at you sometimes as a great example of that. So let, let's shift real quick and talk about the subject of this podcast. You know, talk about this notion of the best thing. And I'm curious for you, what's one of those those best things that to happen to you. That's not one of those traditional markers of success. People always talk about getting married, having kids, buying a home. All those things are all extremely 
important. But if you had to name something that wouldn't necessarily come up in, in conversation or show up in a bio, that was the best thing to happen to you. What is that, Paul? You know, I've thought a lot about this actually prior to your your, your outreach to invite me on this show, Antonio. And, and uh, this one's going to sound unexpected. In, in a lot of ways, the best thing that ever happened to me was 9-11. On 9-11, I was on 23rd Street in New York City. I was... Uh, uh, and I was in the National Guard, but hadn't been called up. I had just quit my job on 9-11 on September. Uh, I just quit my job on Wall Street on September 7, 2001. Uh, I had planned to disconnect. I was going to go to Brazil. I was going to maybe do some military training again. But I had spent a bunch of time in the private sector. And then 9-11 happened. I was in the National Guard. I volunteered to go down there. And the whole world changed. Um, it was a devastating time for our city. It was a devastating time for the world, but it was the, the call of, of my generation. I think prior to coronavirus, it was, it was the call of our generation. And that call um, was devastating to so many of us. It, it led me to serve in Iraq. It led me um, through a lot of pain. I lost a lot of friends. But the long tail of that moment led me to creating IAVA years later, created the organization that I led for many years and sent me on this trajectory. And I, I broke it down and thought to myself, you know what, if, if not for 9-11, I never would have taken that path. And if I hadn't taken that path, I never would have met a guy named Gabe Kleinman, who came on the board at IAVA many years later. And if I never met Gabe Kleinman, he never would have introduced me to my wife on a blind date in December in a snowstorm. And I met my wife in that snowstorm many years later. Um, and we got married. We have two beautiful children now, uh, age four and age one. And, and we live uh, about half a mile from ground zero, the same place that, that I dug up survivors uh, on 9-11 is the same neighborhood where my one-year-old plays, where my four-year-old goes to school. We are a part of rebuilding this community. And now lower Manhattan is more vibrant than it's ever been. And even with coronavirus, we're going to be resilient. We're going to respond and, and we will rise again. But, you know, 9-11 brought some good to my life. And, and that's hard for people to understand. I don't, you know, wish it would happen again. Right. But I, I, it taught me also to recognize that no matter how dire the situation, how dark the situation, your attitude matters and, and how you approach it matters. And you can make the best out of any situation. If you don't think so, then pack it up and go to sleep now and let Corona roll you over. Because there is, there is unity that can come of it. There is progress that can come out of it. There is hope that can come out of it. If you just listen to Look at D-Nice on Instagram. Maybe you've, you've tuned in, right? Hundreds of thousands of people are in this virtual party with a DJ where, you know, Mark Wahlberg's popping in and firefighters are popping in. We all feel connected. That is positive outgrowth of the coronavirus. And maybe now we will finally address some of the inequities and some of the social justice issues and some of the healthcare issues that we've neglected for too long. We're going to go through some pain, um, but sometimes that pain um, can steal you to be stronger on the outside. So probably not the answer you were expecting or anyone would expect, but I'm going to say that that moment for me was, was 9-11-2001. Well, what's amazing about your answer and the answers of all the previous guests on here, typically it's not something that was, a, it's not unicorns, it's not a, a sunny beach day. Typically it's something that was born out of struggle, that build up resilience and some type of grit inside of them that ended up being the best thing. Of course, we see this with hindsight being 2020. You said attitude matters, and we all know that attitude matters could you talk to me a little bit more about that? Because there are a lot of folks that when the tough get going, man, they, they, they bounce, they bail. Uh, they don't have that resilience and grit. 
Are you a dude, I know a former athlete yourself, I think you coach football at one point, are you a guy who's naturally built to encounter tough times, natural grit resilience from that immigrant working class mentality? Or is that something over the year years that you've been able to cultivate and develop? The answer again is both. You know, I grew up in a, in a pretty tough environment. Uh, there was a lot of adversity in my household. Um, there was mental illness in my household. Um, I experienced trauma at a young age. So, you know, now as I'm older, I reflect on this. I, I recognize that I was growing up in a pretty chaotic environment where I was asked to lead for my family at a very early time. And that steeled me in some ways, right? To be prepared to fight, to be prepared to be resilient, to be prepared to survive, right? And then over time, it just got uh, sharpened. And it got sharpened most of all by experiences and by mentors, right? The experiences, just as an example of playing football, right? Like I, I chose to play football, but then I also had coaches that, that taught me along the way. I had a high school coach named Jim Hunter. Um, who was a Vietnam vet who who told me he was going to make me an all-county center when I was a freshman. And I was skinny. I got pounded on by a dude named Warren Hunter, who was 300 pounds and was going to play D1 at Georgia Tech. But he said, dude, I can see it in you and I can see where you're going to go. And that mentorship and that teaching steeled me and taught me how to survive adversity and move forward. And now that's a part of what you know, I, I want to teach other people, you know, you, I had another football coach named EJ Mills. I played at Amherst college, a small school in Western Massachusetts. And he used to say, uh, attitude and effort is everything. Attitude and effort. You know, you got to have the right attitude and you can't always have the right attitude, but having the right attitude is essential. Waking up every day and saying today can be a great day in my house. My boys and I, we wake up and I say, all right, boys, what is it? And they say, today's going to be a great day. And I said, all right, now let's go. Now, it's not always a great day, but at the end, we try to make it a great day. And then the effort part is key. Working at making it a great day, working at caring for your family, working at making tomorrow better than today. Uh, my friends who are Navy SEALs always say the hardest day was yesterday. You know, so, you know, you got to keep moving forward. And especially right now, I know people are feeling isolated. I know people are struggling. But we are there for you as a community, even if it's just Antonio's fantastic, fantastic podcast. Um, we, we can have the right attitude and the right effort, and we can move forward as an individual, as a community, and as a country. This question is coming to me. I'm not sure where it's coming from, but I'm curious growing up and throughout your life, as you talked about your background, your upbringing growing up, tough upbringing, um, and then you, you kind of juxtapose that with finding your way to a great institution like Amherst, finding your way to Wall Street, uh, then, you know— on Capitol Hill, interacting with all these folks, these politicians, high-powered politicians. So now being an entrepreneur, doing amazing things, building a business. I'm curious, Paul, growing up, did you feel like you fit in throughout your life or did you feel out of place? And if you did feel out of place, has there been an advantage in that in what you do? I love that question. I felt completely out of place most of my life um, for different ways, for different reasons at different times. You know, sometimes it was because I had long hair and an earring and listened to music that was different than other people. Um, sometimes it was because, you know, when I was training for football and really focused, I didn't drink. Um, it was other times when I was living with Dermond and I was the only white guy in the black culture house at Amherst College. Um, and then other times I was the only veteran in the room at, at, a, at a meeting in, at the White House or, or somewhere else. Um, you know, I, I often felt like I was out of place, um, but I also recognize that in those instances, especially as an activist, 
the more out of place I was, the more responsibility I had. There were often times where I was the only veteran in a room of high-powered business people or in Washington or among senators. And I was like the ambassador from Planet Veteran, right? Like they had never met anyone from my planet. They didn't know what we looked like, what we smelled like. They kind of had an idea of what we were. And I was there, not just for me, but for the veterans who were in hospitals, the veterans who were wounded, the veterans who who couldn't take time off of work to go advocate for their mental health care or for their families. Um, and, and that sense of uh, uniqueness was empowering to me. But it was also a recognition that, that everybody's unique in their own way. I know they could set a lot, but if you embrace it and you think about what your strengths are uh, and how you can leverage those unique components of your personality, um, you know, you can be a beautiful and unique snowflake, right? I've been watching Mr. Rogers a lot. And I talk about Mr. Rogers on my podcast a lot. And Mr. Rogers says, look for the helpers. When there's chaos or, or, or tough times, look for the helpers. They're the people who are running in. But, but Mr. Rogers also says, I, I love you the way you are. And, and that was validating for me as a kid. I used to grow up listening to Mr. Rogers. PBS was kind of like babysitting for me uh, in many ways. It was like daycare. And now I'm, I'm playing Mr. Rogers for my kids. So I think we have to recognize that being unique and special is okay. It doesn't make you better than somebody else. Um, but we're all unique and special in our own ways. And, and that's a gift. And, and again, if you take the right attitude to that, you bring the right effort, then you can do great things. And you can give back. I think it's very important. You do this a lot, Antonio, that you give back to people who may not understand that now. They feel alone and isolated and it's hard. Um, they need to know that there are people ahead of them that can show them the path. On my podcast a couple months ago, I interviewed Mayor Pete Buttigieg, right? And he, and he has been such a powerful and inspiring role model for, for kids, especially gay kids, who never thought they could come out and run for president, right? And he, he knows now how powerful that is, and he understands and appreciates how important it is for him to show that path for kids coming up behind him. Um, so, you know, that's what I want to do in, in any interaction I have, and, and that's what I hope, you know, I can do on this podcast, and when I leave this podcast and go uh, play with my kids, you know, it, it's about bringing that every day and, and getting after it. You know, you also, you know this, man, you got to work your ass off. Right. Like this, uh, you know, I'm not going to sound like the old guy said the younger generation doesn't get it. Right. I'm, I'm a little bit of the old guy. I get off my lawn now. But you got to work your ass off and you have to work harder than you probably think you do, especially if you're building something. Building stuff is hard. Right. Whether you're building that, you know, a car in your garage or you're building a business or you're building a movement, it will require a tremendous amount of effort and discipline. It means, you know what, you're thinking about going to have that beer right now, but you stay in and, and you do push-ups. Or you're thinking about, you know, going to, you used to go to the club, you're going to click over and, and party with D-Nice tonight, but instead you're going to read an accounting book, right? Like you got to put the work in and that requires a tremendous amount of, of effort, but it also requires discipline. And I think that's what I've learned over time. The management of your time, the management of your energy, the management of your emotions, uh, the management of your money, all of that, you know, your resources are finite. And the older I get, the more I realize that I'm not going to, you know, live forever. Um, and I got to manage that time effectively. And that that's where the discipline comes into play. Yeah. As you say that, I think about a lot of folks that want to become entrepreneurs or start their own business. And they'll say something like, the reason why I want to do this is so I can have more free time. And I'm like, you're not going to have more free time, homeboy. So, yeah. So I got my friend said to me once that, you know, freedom freedom is, is earned, right? And, and it should be granted on some basic, like, you know, social liberty uh, levels. But 
Um, somebody said to me once that the Statue of Liberty on the East Coast should be complemented by the Statue of Responsibility on the West Coast, right? Like with, uh, with liberty comes responsibility, with leadership comes sacrifice. Uh, that's something else that I try to teach folks and I, I want to echo, you know, leadership is not just about getting a big paycheck or the corner office or getting your face on TV. Leadership most often is about sacrifice. If you look at somebody like Governor Cuomo right now, you know, he's out there and everybody say, oh, he's in the spotlight. He's the leader. He's not with his kids. You know, he's not with his kids. He's given up that time with his kids because he's serving the people of New York right now. He's putting his life at risk. I mean, he's out there every day exposing himself to coronavirus. He could just mail it in and I'm going back to, you know, to, to Albany and, 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 and entrench myself. But leadership does require sacrifice. And I think that's what folks need to understand. If you want to step up, you're going to step up. But, but you know, heavy hangs the head that wears the crown. That is true. Uh, leadership can be lonely, um, but it's absolutely necessary because it's, it's the key determining factor, in my view, of success, whether it's in your family or in a national response to coronavirus. If you look at contrast New York to, to, to the White House right now, the president, in my view, is failing as a leader. He is failing to lead effectively, clearly, responsibly, with empathy and dignity. And on the other side of things, you know, Andrew Cuomo is stepping up and showing what a leader can be. He's responding to the moment. He's rising to the moment. Trump, in my view, is, is falling in the moment. He's collapsing in the moment. He's disintegrating uh, in terms of his character in the moment. And we're all paying for it. Yeah, obviously, when all this shakes out, and I pray it shakes out okay, this is going to be an interesting case study on management that the Harvard Business Review or Harvard Business School can do because uh, history is going to write an interesting tale about today. A couple more things, Paul. You mentioned something that stood out to me. You said, talking about um, being out of place, you said, the more out of, pla- out of place I was, I felt like the more responsibility I had. Could you briefly just unpack because what that statement you just said man requires a good amount of something that most people in my book i don't think they have that's called emotional awareness a strong emotional intelligence and that's something that i know is i'm not getting not sure if that's innate with you something you've developed but can you talk about that maybe compassion isn't the word isn't the word but the emotional awareness you've been able to develop over the years yeah i would call it empathy you know my my, my mother um is a brilliant woman. Uh, She's been through a lot of hardship in her life. Um, She has, uh, you know, fight, fought and and struggled with mental illness most of her life. Um, She is a brilliant woman who's also been put in handcuffs and put in a, in a state uh, prison. Right. And so my mother's been through it all. Okay. She's been uptown, downtown and everywhere in between. Um, But she taught us as young boys to be empathetic. This was back in the seventies before men were taught to be empathetic right, to be kind and to be thoughtful, but to understand feelings and to be able to talk about your feelings and rationalize your feelings was was important for me as a young man, but as an older man is even more important because I, I can relate to people and I can empathize. Every pain is different, every struggle is different, every person is different, but if you can approach it with an open heart and open eyes, that also take a page from what my grandfather used to always tell me, which was really simple, which was pay attention. He said, pay attention, pay attention to the color of the sky, pay attention to the taste of the water, pay attention to where that guy's eyes are looking when he's talking to you. Like pay attention. If you pay attention, you're not zoned out, then you will see things that other people don't see. You might see that that kid who walks in your office, you know, his shoes are beat up because he can't afford another pair of shoes, but you'll only see that if you pay attention. And, and that the two components of empathy uh, and, and attention, I think, combine 
um, to make people more powerful leaders and, and to synthesize those two. And then if you can articulate it through the storytelling, if you can see the pain, understand the pain, and then communicate the pain like someone like Andrew Cuomo is doing with another component that I think is essential to everything, which is strategy. And, and you have to have a plan. So when I launched this business, I had a plan. When I launched um, IAVA, I had a plan. Even for this podcast, I had a plan. And, and uh, one of my great mentors is a guy named Les Gelb, who was the president of the Council on Foreign Relations, a brilliant guy who we lost last year. And he used to say, I don't take a piss without a plan. Uh, so you got to have a strategy because things don't happen by accident. And taking the time to artfully and carefully plan and then think about your plan, test your plan, and then execute your plan and adjust your plan as needed throughout. The difference between somebody with a plan and somebody who doesn't is right now the difference between Donald Trump and Andrew Cuomo. Look at the difference between those two people. One has a plan and one doesn't. And we're going to see a big difference over the next couple of months. Yeah, having a plan is a critical. What amazing, amazing advice you got from both your mom and your grandfather. In terms of having a plan, nothing frustrates me more when I'm seeing someone wing it or they say I'm just going to wing it because that means you're basically going uh, to fail. Paul, I know this conversation could go on for a long time. I want to be respectful of your time and all that you have going on right now. For me, this has been fantastic. I definitely want to have you back on anytime you want to come on and also to talk about your book when that bad boy comes out. I really loved your very first one. I just want to acknowledge you and just appreciate you, man, for making time to join me on here. Thank you, man. Thank you, man. You know, one, one thing I want to just share with folks before we wrap is, is that um, my podcast is called Angry Americans. And we called it that because we believe if you're not angry, you're not paying attention. Uh, everybody has a right to be angry right now, whether it's about school shootings or the way the coronavirus has been handled or, or how you're trying to pay your bills. The question is, what do you do with that energy? You can make a choice to put that into positivity. And that's what I've tried to do in my podcast. That's what I try to do in my work. And we've had those discussions with folks ranging from Tom Colicchio, the great top chef, to Sarah Jessica Parker, uh, to Mayor Pete Buttigieg, to Henry Rollins. And we're going to continue to have those conversations. And in this moment, it's, it's, it's understandable to be angry. It's right to be angry. It's righteous to be angry. And you're not alone. Talking about and understanding those emotions are, are key. But what we do with it is up to us. And I want to do what I can to push that forward into positive impact, give people ways to make an impact and to stay together. And, and, and you've been doing that every day, man. So I, I appreciate you very much. Appreciate your leadership and your positivity. You've been very generous in the past, even to my, my nephew, when he was going through uh, through college searches and, and other stuff, you've been so generous to so many people in ways that you don't publicize. Uh, but most of all, through your example, man, you're doing it the right way. You're a leader of character. And I appreciate you. Honored to know you and, and thrilled to join you on the pod, man. Yeah, I can't wait to see you in New York, hopefully sometime real soon when things get better. For folks that want to learn more about you, where would you like them to head to? Uh, go to angryamericans.us. Uh, if you're listening to this great podcast, go on over and find us wherever you get your podcasts. You can subscribe. We got new stuff coming uh, on a regular basis. And then you can find me everywhere on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. We'll be doing uh, Ryder and Rivers Room almost every day on my Facebook page. Uh, my name is hard to spell, but just look for Rykoff. Uh, it's R-I-E-C-K-H-O-F-F. Um, and Antonio smart and he's got a plan. So we'll probably have links on this podcast and the way to find me. So thank you, my friend and, and to everyone listening. We're all in this together. We're one team, one fight. And, uh, as we say in my podcast, stay vigilant and also stay frosty, stay cool. Keep your head calm is contagious. We're going to get through this moment together. Absolutely. Everything is going to be on the show notes for this episode. Paul Rykoff. Thanks so much, man. We'll see you next time. Stay frosty, Antonio. 
Thanks for listening to the Best Thing Podcast with Antonio Neves. Join us next week for more stories that'll help you see the world through a new lens. For more resources, go to theantonioneves.com. If you enjoyed this podcast, we ask that you share with a friend and be sure to subscribe so you never miss an episode. 